we're getting way too wrapped up in those details. <laughs> which is crazy. I have to say that, which is crazy because it's like, it almost makes X-Men Days of Future's Past itself, the future part, not even count. Yeah, it doesn't, technically. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, oh, wait, so this never happened then. <laughs> yeah, but if you, if you oh, want to put it that way... Technically, that had to happen for the past to be changed. So. I know, and it's like, it didn't happen, but it also happened, but it didn't happen. It happened to Wolverine, and that's about it. <laughs> Wolverine, somehow Charles remember. That's it. Well, because Charles, yeah, Charles had the moment where he, well, he was with, he was with future Logan. And he also looked mm-hmm. in his mind and saw future Charles. Yeah. So. Yeah, all that, all that, all that stuff, which is baffling and crazy, is gonna <laughs> make you and I go insane if we just keep thinking and thinking and thinking about it. How's it going, everyone? We are the Cinema Seekers. I'm Connor. And I'm Freddy. And we're seeking cinema. So uh, we've got um, another X-Men movie today, of course. We're um, ramping up to New Mutants, and we're definitely going to be adding more to those, given the the uh, ongoings of the world right now. But we won't talk about that, because we go listen to the other episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, today, we're going to be talking about X-Men Days of Future Past. Arguably one of the best ones in the franchise. It's one of my personal favorites. I don't know how it'll stack up. Um, That's kind of something I'll figure out as we go through this discussion, where it kind of lands on my um, ranking of all the X-Men movies. That'll be something we decide at the end of today's episode. Um, But as a general, you know, Freddie, what do you think about this movie? Oh, Connor, this movie is beautiful. I'll just say that right off the bat. Yes. Uh, the look of this film alone, just the look. Like, if if we took away plot, character development, all that, the look of the film is like a 100 for me. Like, when I was watching this movie, like, recently, you know, I just mm-hmm. took it all in. It was just so... I, it was, I admired it. Like, I would aspire to make something like that. Look like that. Look so clean and perfect as this film is it's definitely one of the better x-men movies and i i definitely i i know you're unsure of your ranking but after i finished this movie i had my ranking and i don't know today you may change my mind you may not at the end we will say it but for now just say i love this movie it is definitely one of my favorites especially going back and revisiting it oh yeah and I should also say, you forgot to mention, this is X-Men Days of Future's Past, the rope cut. Ah, yes, is the that one is correct. We watched the little <laughs> subtext in there. And that's actually, this was the first time that I ever watched the rogue cut. I know that we had mentioned that on a previous episode, but um, it was super cool for me, having watched all of these movies a million times, grown up watching them, to finally be able to just 
have an opportunity to just, just see new footage, even if it was only for uh, just like a handful of scenes, like maybe five minutes total. But it was just so refreshing to me. And I, I got excited like I always do when I'm in the theater watching new um, a new superhero movie. And so that was something really cool for me. That is awesome. That is awesome, man. Uh, what is the uh, so this is this is the first time you've watched the road cut then? Yes. The first time. All right. So I'll tell you this. Um, whenever this movie came out on Blu-ray and DVD, I missed the initial release because this movie didn't come out with the road cut first. The mm, first yeah. Blu-ray release was with just the movie. And then um, I somehow found out that they were going to come out with another release called The Road Cut. And immediately I waited. And I remember that day where I woke up and was like, today The Road Cut comes out. And I went and purchased this Road Cut. And I loved it because it the the cover of it is red. It's a beautiful, like, kind of uh, red yeah. crimson color. You're right, yeah. And, like, the one I got, you can actually kind of, like, open the uh the slip-on cover and it has like all the characters in like red and it's it's such a cool like little release thing and a little detail about my little experience with it um i i don't remember if i watched this one in theaters uh i don't did we go i don't think we went you might we went didn't. Someone else. Uh, i actually do okay. remember yeah, yeah. i went with my family on this one um and ah, this okay. was so me and Amanda were dating at this time, which is really weird to think about. And I had made her watch all of the other X-Men movies leading up to this because I was so hyped for this movie. I I don't know if it's because it's a time travel movie or because it was um, kind of combining both the the first class actors and the original trilogy actors into one movie i don't know what maybe just a combination of all those things but i was super hyped for this and i don't know how much you remember about the marketing but dude the marketing was great for this movie they i Mm -hmm. I distinctly remember they had like um a website that you could go to and it was like they made it like very realistic and it was all about like the um the sentinel program and uh bolivar trask and all that and just like, I love it when movies do that, when they um, market a movie such to where you can, like, go to it and it makes it feel real. Uh, that's just a really cool thing that I think marketers can do with movies. And they did it for this movie. And I distinctly remember going to that website and just getting super hyped for this movie. I did not know they had a website for like, like that. But I did. I do remember the marketing campaign, especially the posters. Oh, I love those posters. Where oh, they yeah. They had, like the X and like they had the different faces of the young actor and the older actor. Kind oh of like yeah, you're right. And combine. Remember you're like, they came out with the professor X one. Yeah, that's right. The Magneto one, the, the mystique one. They were all so cool in the way they did it. And I think they even had like the red background there. It was either silver or red, but I also remember the, uh, the trailer, the one of those memorable moments from the trailer that unfortunately we saw in the trailer was when um you know we see Charles talk to young Charles yeah for the that's first right. time, which was a crazy thing to think about. It was like, what? This is this is gonna happen? Like, yeah. Oh my goodness! Like I I know what you're talking about. It's like whoa! Like that's gonna that's gonna be a thing. 
Which, in retrospect, that might have been a better um, movie or scene to save for the theatrical release. Because yeah, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, honestly, um, is that scene just to me, it was really heartfelt and it and it landed for me, maybe not for some people. But um, mm. I don't know. I kind of wish that 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 moment had been saved for the actual movie itself. Yeah, definitely. That's, I definitely agree with you on that. Like, if kind of wish we hadn't seen that in the theater because yeah, that would have been such a great moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, in the trailer. I thought it was such a great moment to watch in the theater alone. But yeah, so there were three posters that we saw where it was the X. Yeah, it was uh... where it was the actors. It was Magneto, um, Professor X. And then Wolverine had one. Those were the ones that had the faces. And why did Wolverine get one? (laughs) I don't know. Because Hugh Jackman. I guess so. He looks no (laughs) different. Yeah, I know. uh, Okay. (laughs) They didn't even make like the like the future version have the gray hair. Oh, maybe. Well, it's kind of hard to tell. But they didn't even try to do that. Gray and white film. Because <laughs> I don't know if you noticed this, but he had distinctly shorter hair in the future than he did mm-hmm. uh, in the past. Yeah. And um, that's actually uh, one of my nitpicks was later on. It was just one little scene. It looked like he still had the short hair, but it was in the 70s sequence. And I was like, that's weird. They must have forgot. <laughs> 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 they forgot. <laughs> I mean, they, it continuity, continuity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and again, we're starting with that very early in the podcast. That it's an overarching thing of the X-Men. Song. Oh, Not yes. <laughs> and this is honestly the movie where, well, honestly, last movie, too, is where it started. But, you know, it just each movie, it gets a little bit more. The next movie, Apocalypse. Oh, man, the freaking continuity issues in that movie. We're going to have a lot of fun with that one. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> but um yeah i i really really like this movie and i'm a sucker for time travel movies i've always Mm -hmm. loved time travel movies um one of my favorite all-time movies is back to the future it's um probably my favorite 80s movie of all time i think i can say that Mm -hmm. confidently and um i don't know i just when uh when endgame came out and everyone was talking about how uh, they thought it was going to be a time travel movie. And a lot of people weren't happy about that because they didn't want them to um, introduce like a lot of continuity errors and stuff like that. And I get all that, but dude, secretly I was super hyped that it was going to be a time travel story (laughs) because I freaking love time travel movies. (laughs) Well, I mean, they still did it in a way that definitely. Oh yeah. They they did an amazing job. Yeah. I'm sure people weren't mad about that, but yeah. Definitely, this is one of those time travel movies where it, it this movie basically was made to change the continuity of the X-Men franchise. Yep, yeah. Which is crazy when you think about it in retrospect. Like, I don't think anyone went into this knowing that. And after coming out of it, seeing that a lot of the past stuff that you watched no longer really had any matter was a little... Whoa. <laughs> Which we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, uh, yeah. So like pretty soon <laughs> after the plot, of course. Oh yeah. So um, 
What man, I, I feel like I just need to read off of IMDB for the plot because I don't want to get it wrong. So um here's just the generic plot that they've got on IMDB and then we'll kinda dissect it a little further, but the X-Men send Wolverine to the past in a desperate effort to change history and prevent an event that results in doom for both humans and mutants. Do does it really end in doom for humans? Because I feel like they're still like doing stuff in the future. I mean, you don't get a whole lot of it, of course, but I don't know. Uh, I it's kind of a yes and no. Because uh, <laughs> uh, in the beginning, they say that um, you know there were humans that helped them. Yeah, I caught the humans that. that helped them. You know, they, they are basically c- yeah. scrutinized just as much as the mutants. Right. So in a way. Yes, it did, it did it, but it's a lot worse for our mutant Absolutely. people yeah. in this film, especially when you see like when it when it's in the future and you see like a lot of the mutants have an M scarred on their face, uh, and it's yeah. so reminiscent of how Hitler put a, a Jewish star on the Jews whenever mm-hmm. he took over, you know, Poland and all that. And I love how they. They actually drew they drew that parallel with Magneto, yeah, in the film sure. too. So I definitely think the mutants definitely suffered a lot more. But yeah, at the same time, it is kind of like humans did suffer too. The ones who were like, "This is not right." So it's semi. It's kind of like a yes and no kind of thing there. Yeah, and I know a lot of people have said that the whole purpose of this movie was so that. Brian Singer could come back and basically um, undo all of the crap that had been done to the franchise on the last the last two movies before uh, First Class. That is, um, I don't know how true that is. I believe that there's probably some truth to it that he kind of was just wanting to um, basically get rid of all of the mistakes that had been made. And I, you know, I think that it was a good idea to do it because it did kind of correct a lot of those issues and they were they were they were on such a good path man they were like after watching this movie i realized that it still could have worked out perfectly like they there was so would have been a couple continuity errors but i mean you can look past that but as as far as the franchise as a whole it still could have perfectly worked out but then in Apocalypse, they do the whole thing with, like, the decade jump. So the first movie's in the 60s, the early 60s. This movie is in the 70s, the early 70s. So it's 10 years later. And at one point, Matt, um, Eric even says, I haven't had a drink in 10 years. So you assume that it's, you know, it's been 10 years. Which, none of them look 10 years older. Mm-hmm. At all. <laughs> <laughs> And um, <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest, before he said that, I, I wasn't I'm not good enough with history dates to know when the Cuban Missile Crisis took place. So I had to look it up later to re- actually realize that it was in the early 60s. But before I figured that out, like, j- just when I was watching this movie, I was thinking like, um, yeah, this this totally makes sense. Like they don't they don't look. Uh, they don't have to look a whole lot older because this is only just like, you know, five years max later because I was thinking that the Cuban Missile Crisis took place late 60s and then this movie 
Days of Future Past was in the early 70s. And so I connected it in my head that, you know, it made sense. But then uh, I found out that it was actually 10 years and I was like, ah, gosh, come on, guys, you're screwing yourselves over. And then they do it in the next movie, too. And so it just gets so much worse at that point, because, I mean, 10 years, maybe you you can kind of get away with it. You cannot get get away with 20 years, dude. There's no <laughs> freaking way. <laughs> and then Dark Phoenix is in the 90s. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> it's stupid. I don't get it. They still look pretty young in that. <laughs> I mean, and then in the 2000s. Man, yeah, they're, they're shriveled prunes, man. <laughs> oh, I'm dying. Oh, man. Terrible. Yeah, so this like, is... What happened in the 90s? I mean, this one came out in 2014, which was only three years after um, First Class came out. And then... Um, when did Apocalypse come out? Was that 2016? I'll look it up really quick. I remember oh. we reviewed it. That's a review. You know, <laughs> we're gonna review that movie twice what if we just what if for that episode we just (laughs) we literally just like release that audio instead (laughs) there you go connor release our plan oh no (laughs) yeah it was 2016 so yeah i mean two years later yet the actors are supposed to be 10 freaking years older (laughs) (laughs) okay and then and then um when did Dark Phoenix come out? Was that 2019? Yeah, this was just last year. Yeah, 2019. Okay, so from 2011 to 2019, eight years, a 40 freaking year difference. <laughs> <laughs> or 30 years. 30 years, right? 60, 70, 80, 90. Yeah. 30 years mm-hmm. older. No freaking way. <laughs> I don't buy it. I will never buy it. And I don't wa- I don't know why they thought it was a good idea. So all that to say, my point is, I feel like this movie should have taken place during the Vietnam War, not at the end of it. And I, th- I mean, you'd have to change up a couple of like the political plot points in the movie. But I, I don't know. There's I'm surely there's stuff going around at that time, too. To where you can still get like the major beats the same. Well, Connor, there was so much going on during the Vietnam War, dude. Like, yeah, I mean, you you said you watched the document. By the way, which what documentary yeah. was that? Just curious. I Maybe the viewers want to know. It's it's called. Um, I think it's literally called the Vietnam War. It's a documentary by Ken Burns. Okay. You, everyone has that time right now because of the coronavirus. Yeah, for uh, each episode is about two hours long. It's six episodes, and it is one of the hardest, mm-hmm. most painful things to get through. But when you get out of it, you are better for it. I promise you. They did not teach any of that stuff to you in high school. Yeah, which is crazy to me. They taught a very different story I, from what I remember in high school. But that's the documentary. Uh, there was a lot of crap that happened in Vietnam War. Connor, you are right. They could have used a lot of the events in the Vietnam War to kind of like bounce the X-Men off of. Yeah. And I mean, we do see they are clearly using X-Men as a special task force. Right. Exactly. And how cool would that have been to be able to see? Dude, that could be a movie in itself. I know. Which maybe that's why they didn't do it. But I feel like that could have been a movie in itself. And I feel like they could have also had Wolverine in that one too. 
You know, he could have been like the general of the task force. Very easily. Very right. Easy. Yeah, that know, was, they did place him in that war. <laughs> I mean, he's fought in every war, according to the worst movie of the franchise. <laughs> but anyways, so like that that could have been a great movie by itself. Personally, I could see that as a movie. And again, like you just said, that's probably why they didn't do it because people would have seen that potential a lot heavier and yeah. they would have been like, well, why didn't we get that movie? And we got this movie. But it's kind of crazy they did throw it at the end when we were pulling out our troops in 1973. Right, yeah. mm-hmm. Signing the treaty and everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They kind of used that more as a backdrop. Then I I almost wonder if they thought that having like a conflict and then this conflict would have conflicted with each other, which is pretty funny to think about, like two conflicts just button heads. So yeah. I wonder if that's why they they threw it at the end because it was more like a resolve of something heading up against a newer conflict. Newer, yeah. it's like it's like the conflict really never ends with the government for some reason in this these movies. Never. <laughs> I guess that's kind of the point. I know we we kind of we've been going for a little while, but what's going? What was going on at this time Connor, that this movie? Are you was ready for out? this, my friend? I'm ready. Okay, so this movie came out in May of 2014. Okay. And so it came out at the near the butt end of 2000 of May 2014. It yes. came out May 23rd, 2014. Whenever it came out, it only butted heads with Blended, okay. Angriest Man in Brooklyn, and another small film called Words and Pictures. So the only two, it didn't have to go much against anything its yeah, first weekend. You know, pretty, Blended yeah. was the Adam Sandler movie. Right, yeah. And Angriest Man in Brooklyn, you know, that was one of uh, Robin Williams' last films. So I'm sure that was something that. Was talked about, but actually, the Future Past probably had had a pretty easy time making money of that film. But Connor, do you know what other superhero movie, without looking it up, came out in this month at the very beginning? Oh man, I'll have to guess. Um, uh, twenty fourteen. Was it? Wait, wait. Was it Guardians of the Galaxy? No, Connor. Oh, okay. The other film. That came out in May of 2014 was the Amazing Spider-Man 2. I was gonna freaking say that, dang it! <laughs> <laughs> like ah, that was my second that, guess. So the month of superhero movies did not start out great, dude. And so we went and I'm saw sure that together. We did, we yeah. did, which is crazy. I thought about that. It's like, why did we go see the bad movie and not the good <laughs> movie together? <laughs> but you know, it's. It's crazy to think that this month of May 2014 started out kind of bad with Amazing Spider-Man 2. And then, of course, yeah. luckily, later that month, we got, you know, Action Days of Futures Past. So, you know, it kind of balanced itself out. But it's crazy that a bad movie and a good movie of the superhero genre both came out at the around the same time. So you've piqued my interest. What are the uh, box office results for both of those movies? I'm very curious. All right. So the box office result for Days of Future's Past was 70, $747.9 million, 
on oh, a wow. 200 to 220 million budget. So it it about tripled it. But that's which pretty good, amazing. especially compared to the other X Men movies in the franchise. <laughs> which brings us to Spider Man Two, <clears throat> which I I have not looked at this number, and I'm about to reveal it to myself. All right, so I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man, not far behind with seven hundred million, seven hundred nine million. Okay. What was their budget though? On a two hundred to three hundred million budget. Yeah, man. So, so that's you know, nuts, man. They did about even when you look at it. Of course, you know, Days of Future Past did a little better, but it's well, crazy. I think the hype for from Amazing Spider-Man fueled this movie, and I'm sure it made all of its money back. Opening weekend and then sunk. <laughs> so, dang, that's crazy. Because mm-hmm. Amazing Spider-Man Two didn't have as much to do as this movie did, as Days of Future Past mm-hmm. did, because time travel and Sentinels and you know a huge cast, they had a lot more to juggle, and they oh, yeah. had a. Did you say a lower budget? Oh. Uh, yeah, technically, yeah. That's insane. They had a only two hundred million to two hundred twenty million is what it says, and oh Amazing Spider-Man gosh. had two hundred million to two hundred ninety-three million, which I think um, the like the dash in these budgets mm-hmm. uh, they account for um, the marketing of Do the they? movie. Okay, so that means like that means Exit of the Future's Past probably cost initially. Only two hundred million, and huh. then they only added twenty million for marketing. But I feel like with Amazing Spider-Man, it probably costed about two hundred fifty million, and yeah. they added maybe a fifty more for marketing, which is kind of crazy that they tried to market Amazing Spider-Man two more than Disney Future's Past, which tells you something. It's like the Disney Future Past people were like, we only need to reach the common audience. Because superhero films are going to come see this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were going to come see that regardless. Right. So, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's kind of crazy that, you know, this film, Amazing Spider-Man 2, and In the Future Past share a release month, which I never knew until I looked it up earlier. And I think the only other notable film that was mm. big was Godzilla that came out that month. Okay, interesting. So that's that's the other biggest film. Like, like there's other films, like Neighbors came out, Chef came out. Uh, that's that's really all I see. That oh, Maleficent and A Million Ways to Die in the West also came out. But yeah, so that's what was going on in the month of May 2014. I think this was actually only two or three months before Guardians came out. Hmm. So you weren't wrong okay. in saying Guardians initially. I knew it was in 2014. I just couldn't remember what month it was. Uh, another movie that came out in 2014, which to me that year was overlooked, was Captain America Winter Soldier. And I think in that year, it got overlooked. But after that year, it was looked back on because of how great it is. It's kind of I become the cult classic of the MCU. Yeah, because, you know... Everyone, I think, had their eyes more on 
Guardians because that was new and something that we had never seen before. Yeah. So there were a lot of superhero movies this year. Clearly, like it's crazy. Man. You have Captain America: Winter Soldier, Amazing Spider-Man 2, Days of Future's Past, Guardians of the Galaxy, and those are like the Marvel ones. Yeah. That's a lot of Marvel. That's a lot of Marvel in one year. Oh yeah, for sure. So there's that crazy fact. Yeah, and this is um, it's also based off of the the comic run, the Days mm-hmm. of Future Past storyline that they did. Um, in I don't want to get this wrong, so I'm looking it up. In 1981, so it was two issues mm-hmm. in the Uncanny X Men, and um. They also, in the X-Men animated series from the 90s, they devote two episodes, I think in season two, to do this storyline. And it's actually pretty good, uh, if I can remember correctly. It's been a little while since I've seen it, but it's on Disney+. Plus, So I recommend going and watching that uh, if you're listening to this, because I actually enjoyed it. And it's not going to take up a whole lot of your time to go watch that. But yeah, essentially the storyline of the alternate, I mean, of the um, Days of Future Past storyline is that, of course, the Sentinels are ruling a dystopian future and mutants are being hunted and placed in internment camps, essentially a Holocaust reference. And then there's a few remaining X-Men who make a desperate attempt to stop the Sentinels. I don't know if you know this, but in the comics, they did not send Wolverine back. That was obviously just a tactic for the... Uh, movie studio for Fox to get more Hugh Jackman screen time, which who can blame uh-huh. them? Hugh Jackman's great. But in the comics, oh. they actually sent Kitty Pride back, Shadowcat, um, through time to possess the body of her younger self. So the, I think the reason that they made Kitty Pride be the one to send consciousness back in this movie is to kind of pay homage to that. But if you really think about it, it doesn't really make sense because her power is walking through walls. So how how would she be able to send people yeah. back in time? Jasmine <laughs> uh, asked me that, and I was like, the only explanation I could come up with is um, I watch an anime called My Hero Academia. I have no clue uh-huh. if you've ever heard of it. Connor. I've heard of it. I've seen a couple episodes. Uh, but it's uh, it, it's a, essentially an X-Men anime. And in that, they go to the academy and they all have initial powers. But um, I know, I haven't watched current, I'm not caught up, but I know in the last season I watched, some of them were kind of learning like new things they could do. So I almost, this is the way I explained it because I had no other way to explain it. It was like, she she had that ability, she just had to learn it. That's the only thing... (laughs) I could connect, and I was like, it's still ridiculous, because how do you transfer going through walls with to consciousness, a, a consciousness <laughs> to a, a past self? So yeah, it's it's a stretch yeah. of the imagination, but at least it's a, uh, an explanation. It might not be the best one, but I, at least I'm trying here, because... <laughs> It is ridiculous when you really think about it, which is something just try not to think too much about, <laughs> you know, otherwise you're going to be like, yeah, oh, it doesn't work. You really can't think. And they, and then of course they, they use the whole, like the way they get Wolverine to go back is the reasoning is that you have to, um, 
basically your mind can't take it if it's more than just a month. Uh, the further back you're being sent in time, the the bigger of a impact it's going to have on your consciousness. And Wolverine is the only one who theoretically can can take that, basically. Um, so he's like, what if someone can heal as fast as they're being ripped apart? So it kind of implies that your mind is, I guess, going to be ripped apart while you're being sent back. So does it hurt mm-hmm. for, like, Bishop when he's getting sent back? I think so. Like, is it just more of, like, a headache? I think because Bishop's only sent back days. Yeah. Doesn't hurt or a couple weeks, much. maybe, at most. Yeah. yeah. Well, whatever amount of time, it does make you wonder, is there an amount of pain to this consciousness being sent back. Yeah. Uh, would that actually work? <laughs> like it, <laughs> I know it's, it's a comic book movie. And, it is, you know, Time yeah. travel is very theoretical. So it's like, I wonder if, say this is the way we decided to time travel, would it hurt? I don't know, but <laughs> I don't even know how that would work, I <laughs> personally, because I, I, I feel like consciousness is more of a, uh, inanimate thing and it's i'm not inanimate i should say it's it's just it's not a physical thing so yeah I don't know how it's, pain it's it's immaterial to it <laughs> right yeah. that's what i'm trying to say like how how does pain apply to that i have no clue i guess it just adds to the effect of like it's emotional pain yeah i, I, I can't <laughs> I have no clue at this point. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway. That's, that's, you gotta get over that. Yeah. I do, I do have um one question that I want to see how well you can answer it Um, before we get into the cast. So Alrighty. how did this movie um kind of line up to history, given what you know from like the documentary that you watched and just being a history buff in general, like with the whole Vietnam War and all that? I guess they were actually considering it a wartime win. Did they actually think that they won? Because that's what they, they I, make it. They make the, that case in this movie. Unfortunately, Nixon did see it as a win. But no, I'm talking about the Vietnamese um, in this movie. Oh, the Viet- they're congratulated yes, for winning the war. I actually, yeah, yes, that is how they saw it. Because if you look at it, we fought to um put Vietnam back together. Uh-huh. And by the end of the war it still had a divide in it. So they okay. they saw it as a win because they lost no territory. Okay. I got gotcha. you. Uh, but the funny thing is I am pretty sure Richard Nixon also didn't see it as a like a, an exact loss. To I'm be sure. honest with you. Yeah. Um, unfortunately when because it I, I'm reading the Paris Peace Accords were signed in on January twenty seventh, nineteen seventy three. Yeah, that's when they were. And that's signed. that's that's the date that they give in the movie too. Okay, so. so that's good. It's just so as far as like historical accuracy, this one might be the most accurate, which is crazy because this one is also the craziest yeah. of them. Yeah. To be honest, you know, it definitely has one of the crazier plot points. So they actually, um, actually kept, kept that accuracy on their side, which is pretty cool when you think about it. It's like, wow, they actually kind of were a little bit mindful huh, of yeah. that. Okay. We can talk about the cast now. 
Alright, so the cast, you know, it, it wasn't much different this time around. We, yeah. We, I mean, we had the original X-Men and even the uh, older X-Men. Yeah, I think that's too. the notable thing is that you've got um, all of yeah, the everyone. actors essentially in the same movie. With with some exceptions. Like, you don't have um, mm-hmm. Mystique, Rebecca Romaine Mystique. Yeah. And that, I mean, I'm, that's probably just because she didn't want to come back. It. Yeah. Well, remember in X-Men 3, she had lost her powers. Well, Rogue did too. <laughs> I, I, I know. I, I, I was going to get to that. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. So did Magneto. Magneto lost his too, but... Freaking... Right, oh got him gosh. right back in the same movie in 10 seconds. Come on, Brett Ratner. <laughs> what the heck, man? <laughs> Clearly, Brian Singer did not agree with Rogue losing her powers because he gave them right back to her. I'm, oh yeah, I, I'm guessing. I'm guessing the original Mystique did not want to return, so they just kind of actually kept that, which this is probably why. Stupid yeah. Because it's like, it's like, oh, so it affects everyone else, but but her it affects forever. Yep. But um, as far as you know, who's kind of pulling the most weight? I mean, Fastbender's still doing a terrific job here. Oh, yes. Actually, um, and I think McAvoy is even doing better in this one than he was in the last one. I agreed. I actually really like what they did with his character. I like seeing the hero kind of go through a dark spot and then come back, like seeing that redemption. Uh, for for example, Daredevil season three is my personal favorite. I don't know if you've seen any of it, and I won't spoil any. Yes, love Daredevil. So go ahead. Okay, I love that season it's my favorite one and it's it's the same reason they they do the whole like they break the hero down and then he has the redemption arc basically and Mm -hmm. daredevil goes through that in that season and i just loved it and i love it here too so i love when when uh, movies do that and uh, i liked how james mcavoy handled it in this film well i I think it really works too because wolverine's been through that and I think he always saw Charles as right, yeah. somewhat perfect. And I think when he saw Charles was at one point broken down, it almost made that bond stronger to me. Yeah, I agree. Wolverine was probably like, wow, this guy has gone through just as much crap as I have. Yeah. Just wanted to add that. I, I agree. And Hugh Jackman, of course, he's doing good in here too, um, as always. Yeah. I mean, he's... I, I I don't know how audiences are ever going to be able to adjust to a new Wolverine because he has set the bar so high. <laughs> Extremely high. One of the longest times playing a superhero. Yeah. 11 years, dude. Right? Was it 11 years or was it more? No, more than that. 2000. More. Yeah, 2000 was when the first one came out. 2000 and his last to... appearance was Apocalypse. No, Logan. Logan, which no, was Logan. 2017. Wait, what? I th- I'm sorry. I thought Logan came out before for a second. 17 years as a single hero. I'm pretty sure that's the longest mark that anyone has ever played yeah, a I single think so. comic book character. Iron Man was... Tony or Robert Downey Jr. was 2008 and 2018, 2019. So, yeah, 11 years for Robert Downey. 
Not to us. I, I, I knew I knew 11 years with someone. Yeah. I think I think Robert Downey Jr. was in more films, though, as the same character than Hugh Jackman yeah, yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah and does. then the other one that I want to talk about with the cast is Jennifer Lawrence's Mystique. Man, mm-hmm. I she's really good in this movie. I don't know what your thoughts are, but I loved her in this movie. I liked her more in this movie than I did in the last one, and it's so well-informed from the last one. Um, cause you, mm-hmm. you get, it's like a two movie arc really. And I'll just go ahead and say it. I don't really like what they do with her in the rest of the films, <laughs> but, oh, um, uh, well, I haven't seen dark Phoenix yet, so we'll, it remains to be seen. No spoilers, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but this one, I really enjoyed what they were doing with her character and she's got some really, really good scenes in this movie. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I definitely think she they carried an arc over from the last one. Especially it felt like she had lived 10 years more than the other guys. I mean, yeah, that's a good it point. makes sense for her because she she has genes that allow her not to age. So I have to say in yeah. that regard, it, she's probably the <laughs> only actor besides Hugh Jackman that makes sense. Yeah, she's the that only one who can get away with it. the way she does. Yeah. <laughs> So, but like you can tell, like she's been through crap in this movie, and she's definitely, she's definitely trying to like make everything go right for mutants when clearly everything's just not at this point in time. Right. And you can clearly tell that you know mutants, mutants are strong or whatever. What is it they say? Uh, mutant mutant and proud. Yeah. You know that that that's a thing that you know she reiterates in this film. But yeah, I do think she has a pretty good story arc carrying over from the last film. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So now that that's said, we can go ahead and get to our points. If you want to, I, I want to talk about one more actor. Okay. One more actor who undoubtedly was one of the greatest casting choices is Evan Peters. Oh, how did I forget? (laughs) I feel so bad now. (laughs) They, I think he is one of, he's the best new character they have ever introduced in an excellent film. And especially the way they introduce him. Just, yeah. And how Evan Peters perfectly, you know, (laughs) portrayed this version of Quicksilver. Yep. Because as we know, a year later, Marvel decided, well, we want to do Quicksilver too. Of course, they killed theirs off immediately, so yep. it didn't matter much. Well, that's why they killed them off. Killed them off, I think, this, is one of the reasons. This Quicksilver, played by Evan Peters, was pretty cool, and I definitely loved this casting choice. I loved every moment he was on the screen in this film, and I should. I'm just gonna say it right now. He has. One of the top ten best moments in the X Men franchise, if not the top one. For me it's, personally, it's it, top top tier for me. It's top five right. easily. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> easily top five best moments, and yeah. especially and not only because of the way he acted it, but because of the way it was shot, how it was edited, the song choice. Connor, it's just he yeah. has. Definitely one of the top five, if not the top best scene of X Men. I'm sure. I love it, man. When we, when we get to other movies, maybe that'll I'll change that. But 
as it stands, he he knocks it out of the ballpark. And he's only in the movie ten, fifteen minutes. Yeah. And he steals the movie. <laughs> it's like how? How do you steal a movie that has Hugh Jackman, James McAvoy, Jennifer Lawrence, Michael Fassbender, Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, Peter Dinklage, <laughs> Ellen Page, it's Harry crazy. Berry, all these people listed before him, and he is the standout in this film. And I'm so glad he just that steals the show. They man. allowed him. I'm so glad they allowed him to steal the show. Because it was like the other actors were probably told he's going to be the best part, you know, of this part. So just let's try and like let him shine. And man, he shines like one of the brightest stars in the sky, I have to say. And I, yeah. I mean, he's, I just can't talk enough about him, man. I'll, I'll never be able to talk enough about this movie and him with the best scene with Jim Croyce's time in a bottle playing as he runs around. Oh my goodness. And it's not even just that part. Like, of course, that's the most amazing part of that scene. But that, that whole scene in general, um, mm-hmm. like, I noticed something new when I was watching it. Me and Amanda did because we had the subtitles on. <laughs> when they, when he runs Eric, um, into the elevator and like holds his neck so he doesn't get whiplash, they're in the elevator mm-hmm. and the guard is still duct taped to the wall. Yep. And, um, he asks, he's like, oh, so so what what'd you get put in here for? And uh, Magneto's like, I killed the president. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but <laughs> Quicksilver, like, slowly kind of turns around and looks at the guard, and he mouths, oh, s***. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is I, I so think I'd have funny. To it, it is so funny, dude. <laughs> the way he does it is, it is hilarious. I freaking died laughing. When it happened. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's perfect. It's like that little moment too. Yeah, like I know. The interaction between those two alone is that good. Let alone between him, Wolverine, and Hank. You know, oh, yeah. Whenever yeah. he first meets them. And he's just running around doing stuff, talking to him at the same time. And I love how whenever his mom answers the door... She's like, what did you do this time? Yeah. Like, he knows. <laughs> <laughs> and you see like the he, scuff mark on the welcome mat and everything. <laughs> yep. That's crazy. It's the crazy little, the little details they decided to put in the movie. I love it. Are perfect. <laughs> and like, it's even crazier because like, to think about, you know, that whenever the song plays in that scene, it plays normal for us. And a lot has been talked about, about like, what does he, how fast does he have to listen to it for it to sound normal to him? Because, you know, he's, he's working on a much faster level than anything. Yeah. So, like, I don't, I've even watched, there was a video I watched whenever it first came out about how, like, for him to hear a song normally while he's running, he has to, like, turn the speed up, like, times 50. Yeah. Just to hear it normal. And it's crazy to me. And it's like, Think about how if you he could watch like a billion movies in a year. Yeah. <laughs> Not even that maybe. It's it's crazy. I love his effects too because like it's perfect. It's how it should be done. Like Yeah. Oh my god. I can't talk enough good about him. A quick wreck here. Um one of my favorite YouTubers, Nando V Movies. Um, he does a lot of like short 
movie rewrites and really he tries to focus on like just changing one thing in a movie to make it better but he also every once in a while will do something a little bit different he just like i mean in the last week or last two weeks maybe released a video titled how quicksilver broke speed and i haven't Mm -hmm. watched it yet only because i don't want to spoil anything from dark phoenix because I'm sure he's going to reference oh stuff God. from that. So <laughs> I, I literally, it's in my watch later right now, and I'm dying to watch it because I love his videos. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, I highly recommend his channel if you want to go watch any of his videos. They're all great. He's got a lot of X-Men ones and a lot of MCU ones as well. So um, I just wanted to mention that while I was thinking about it. But yes, Evan Peters doing an incredible job here. He's basically playing the same type of character from Kick-Ass, if you think about it. Yeah. It's so yep. funny when I watched that movie. Um, I watched it after watching this movie, actually. Um, and it was only like maybe a year ago. It wasn't that long ago. And so when I was watching Kick-Ass for the first time, I was like, no freaking way. That's that's freaking Quicksilver. Oh my gosh. And he plays like the same kind of sarcastic type of attitude. I loved it. Oh yes, well, there you go guys. We just rented on a single character. And that tells you how good he was in this one. How we can just rant on him forever. Oh, I'm yeah. sure we could go on. Even longer. Oh but yeah. Of course, I have to go to our main topic that we both gathered from this film. I myself this week only gathered, you know, four main big things from this. Okay. From this film. I've got a lot more than that. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, I, since, uh, I'll go ahead and start with one of mine. And I already mentioned it, but I'm going to go into a lot more depth now. Okay. This film is probably one of the best made X-Men movies. Like, without a doubt. Oh, yeah. Another... Another thing where it's like top, to me, this is probably top three. And Easily. It's just yeah, like, I agree. When I started watching this movie, like, I didn't realize how, like, beautiful they did it. And, like, whatever camera they sat it on, however they color graded it, or whatever they did to this movie, I want to learn how to do. Because it's just, it's brilliant how Brian Singer made this movie so visually captivating not only with the story he already had a great story but he was like i'm gonna go an extra hundred miles and make it look gorgeous (laughs) like i i just every shot of this film was perfect for me personally i think the only time where it faltered in like the cgi or whatever for me was the old sentinels from the 70s for some (laughs) reason those were not animated well and besides that all the other aspects of this movie are perfect in the filmmaking process and how it looks in regards to the color grading are you referring to the future sequences or the 70s sequences Uh, both dude okay both of them both in lighting and technique and how he was able to capture like either a darker tone or even like a lighter tone. He just, he knows how to play with his light and his 
uh, his, his camera filters and everything. Cause to me, I, I couldn't find a single flaw in how the movie was shot. I just love how well made the movie is. Like, it, yeah. Even if you don't like the plot or anything, which I don't know how you don't like the plot or anything. <laughs> it's just, it's just such a good movie. Like I, I could sit there and just stare in awe at this movie. And maybe that's why I didn't write down as much as I normally do. But yeah. I, I just, it's like I didn't want to take my eyes off the screen while I was watching this movie. Like it, it was almost like it hurt a little bit to write down something because I was like, I just, this is just too, so much eye candy to look at. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my goodness. And I, I don't think I caught this in the theaters, to be honest with you. Man, the fact that I didn't catch it in theaters. That's so sad. And that I'm seeing how beautiful it is really disappoints me. So like, <laughs> If I ever see a theater have like a special screening of this film, I'm definitely going to have to go and watch it. I don't know if that's ever going to happen because they're no longer doing this series, unfortunately. Yeah. But I, I really need to go back at some point and catch this in the theater. Like there has to be some point where someone's like special event, X-Men, there's a future past. <laughs> I would. I would go watch it. Yeah. I would pay that. I will say that I really did like the um the look of the 70s, like the whole vibe mm-hmm. that they were going for. I think they nailed it, man. Um like the set dressing, the um costume designs, everything really felt like the 70s and I didn't grow up in the mm-hmm. 70s, but you know, from what I've seen of the 70s, it all felt really organic and really fresh. And then specifically one, one set in the future that I really liked was the one in China where they were basically doing the whole transferring in the, your, the consciousness thing. I just, mm-hmm. I loved the lighting with, especially in the room where they had like the stained glass panes and stuff like that. That's like oh, yeah, the best lighting in the entire movie, in my opinion. I just loved the way it looked. It was so interesting. And, I definitely think Brian Singer knew how to like shine a specific light through a specific color. Yeah. To even like get it on someone's face. Like, um, even in that James McAvoy scene. Yeah, yeah. They actually kinda they tried to like shine some of the lights on his face to that almost was, make it seem like he's there. That was edited is- really interesting because it was like mm-hmm. It was almost like um talking through water or a pane of glass or something like that. Mm-hmm. I I really liked how they did that though. It was really cool. That that's literally such an amazing scene in itself. You know, not only story wise, but like visually, how they approached it. I just I would have loved to like hear like the thought process behind, like here's what we're gonna do and here's how we're gonna do it and like how they got to where what we saw in the film. But. Yeah. Like, I can't stress enough, like, even if you're not a fan of this movie, which I don't know how, you know, this is definitely one of the better excellent movies, you can still appreciate the art and majesty of how they use the camera and how they used, you know, the effects and everything just to tell the story. Like, that alone, you could just captivate yourself with. Like, if you turn the volume off on this movie... 
I feel like it would still get your attention, even if it was silent. It would yep. still pull your eyes to the screen. And especially since I have, like, a bigger TV, seeing it on there. You ain't got to flex, no, Freddy. Just, hey, <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just want everyone to know that I, I, I see some little details, but I don't know. No, Maybe yeah, you're right. made it look it, better than it does. But. Yeah. I agree. I think, yeah, I think the lighting was great in this movie. So, um, oh. you ready for one of my points? Oh, yes. Let's see what we can talk about. All right. I just want to discuss with you how the time travel works in this movie. Because they give you, like, pretty much an explanation at the beginning. And so from my understanding, what happens is when your consciousness gets sent back, you go to your younger self. And so you are, your older self is now occupying your younger self. So your younger self is just not doing anything at that point, from my understanding. Mm-hmm. And so whatever your older self is doing in your younger body, um, if you make a change that impacts the timeline, it basically will not go in time in the future will not change until that change in the past has been made. And so that's why um, it took that's why you have to be transferring the consciousness for a while. Like that's why Kitty Pride had to do it for so long. Like for Bishop, for for instance, they were in that room for a while. And I remember a couple times watching this, like I didn't really understand that. And so I was kind of like, why the, why is, you know, why is it taking so long? Why can't they just go back in time like that? But they're not actually going back in time. They're, they're making a change in the past. And so that takes time to actually make that change for the future to change. But also what that means is that everyone in the future is instantly like that timeline doesn't exist anymore. So there's just automatically an entirely new history in a different timeline where they their future selves are. Does that make sense? I mean, it's kind of hard to, to reverence. It's time travel. So. <laughs> it's so messed up. But the, like I, I, I follow you, yeah. but at the same time, it's just kind of like jarring. It's like to think about it. I mean, when I was watching the movie, I completely understood it. Like I didn't have an, I didn't mm-hmm. have a hard time understanding it at all. But, but after watching the movie, right when you're sitting on it and thinking about it a little bit, it, it raises some questions. Like how did, um, so Wolverine, for instance, when he gets, you know, his, his older self, when he's in the mansion at the end of the movie, he doesn't remember any of the past. That's where I'm confused, basically. Because... That's right. He literally doesn't know what happened in that timeline. Yeah, it's his... Charles even points that out. He's yeah, like, exactly. I'll catch you up. That's terrifying to just wake up. <laughs> <laughs> so he doesn't even know... He knows Professor X from the original trilogy timeline. But not in any other sense. And so... So that Professor X doesn't know that Wolverine and that Wolverine doesn't know that Jean Grey or that Cyclops. You know, he knows a different version of those people. <laughs> I know. He, that means Charles knows 
a different Wolverine story. Which, I mean, technically... Well, actually, that Charles does know that Wolverine, but he only knows him for a short period in 1970. Yeah. He... <laughs> but now he knows a new Wolverine story. Like, because remember in X-Men Origins, they painted a different picture. Yeah, but I know. But in this one, in the 70s, he's not in the Vietnam War. And in this one, instead of being a part of a strike force with Stryker, he is just straight up taken by Stryker, quotations around that. Yeah. Taken by Stryker and made into Weapon X. But I, I do... Against his will. I do believe that... um X-Men Origins Wolverine takes place in the late 70s, so it would technically have taken place after the 70s events in this movie. Mm -hmm. So uh, he wouldn't have been in the Vietnam War in that movie, although he would have been in the war just from the montage at the beginning of that movie. Yeah. But, I mean, to be honest, this movie technically, I mean, takes that movie and kicks it out. Oh, you're right. You look at it. You're 100% right, yeah. So I know we're trying to add, we're doing this stupid thing where we're trying to put these puzzle pieces together. I know. It's we fun, have, though. <laughs> we have, we have five different puzzle pieces from five different puzzles. And one, yeah, one of them's, one of them's a wooden puzzle. Another one is like a child's foam puzzle. They're all different. <laughs> They're all different sizes. They they shouldn't go together, but <laughs> somehow they do. I know people are probably like getting frustrated at us because we're trying to piece this together. But you know, it is it's a cinematic part universe, of the franchise, though. Yeah. So it should still have some interconnecting threads, and the fact that I feel like these threads are just kind of like looked upon as nothing almost it, it it's a little frustrating when you're a fan who wants to have everything cohesive and yeah. flow well and these movies don't necessarily have the best like i mean they obviously interconnect character wise but you know even then they have some this <laughs> is uh, it's just like it's, a, it's it's one of those things that if you think about it too much, you're, you're going to give yourself a headache. It's not going to be worth it. Yeah. And, and we'll, we'll, I mean, we're going to come back to that later. I have a couple other points mm-hmm. that are related to the timeline. So th- that'll definitely come back in nitpicks. So I won't waste too much time with that now. But since you've only got four know, points we... and I've actually got, uh, I've got uh, like six, 25. I think. So I'm just going to do one more really quick. Yes, sir. Um, Because I also want to talk about the mutants that were in first class, namely Banshee, Angel, Mm -hmm. um, Azazel. So I I get that they mentioned that they died off screen. But from a filmmaking perspective, do you think they just didn't want to come back? Like, why was why was the reason that they weren't in this movie? Um, I feel like. Azazel, Angel, Riptide, and Emma Frost were all that. Uh, and possibly Banshee. To me, it was just kind of like, they didn't want to come back, so we'll explain them away. But it kind of sucks, 
because it really sucks. Banshee, I, Banshee especially. Yeah, I know they've set him up I mean, to be something so cool in this movie, and they just kind of. I even wrote that down. So they kill Banshee, but that means he must have joined the Brotherhood, right? I not necessarily. Because like they I didn't hope not. kill, <laughs> they didn't kill off Havoc. Yeah, Havoc. They didn't kill Professor X. They didn't kill Beast. Yeah, but for some reason the government went after Azazel, Angel, Riptide, Emma Frost, and Banshee. Yeah, I I almost think, you know, does that mean Banshee went to the Brotherhood? Because uh, uh, I wrote that down. Did Banshee go to the Brotherhood? I mean, is that what that kind of means? Does I, that mean, yeah. After Charles closed the school, did Banshee feel lost <laughs> and Eric just took him in? And well, he could have happened? been drafted to Vietnam too. It's not explained because they say that that's the that's the reason that the school closed down was because of losing students to Vietnam. I I didn't catch that. I probably should have mentioned that. They said that, yeah, hmm. which I thought was kind of weird, dude. like. Why would you let a... I don't know. I it, I thought it kind of weird that he would let a war be the reason that he closed the school down. Like you can find other mutants. Almost, You've got Cerebro. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like maybe he was trying to aim for the, a certain age. And the age he was aiming for was unfortunately... That's a good the point. ...the age that the draft was taking. So maybe it discouraged him from even going younger... Well, because no. What if, like, eh, I don't. I don't buy it because you've got like uh, little children who are mutants in all the other movies and in the comics. So, <laughs> and they're not being drafted for the war. So true. I, I don't know. Maybe he didn't. Maybe because he was losing those mutants, and those were the people who were being the teachers. Yeah, that's a good point too. Like they they were the X Men team. I mean, yeah, I'm not I'm not like against that explanation by any means. Like they had they had to have a way to explain it. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I it it is kind of sad that you didn't you didn't get um especially Banshee. He was my favorite from but you from know, the ones that don't come back. Did did they even mention Riptide? I don't think they did. He definitely see, says Azazel, I, Banshee, and Emma, I, and Angel. We see Azazel and Angel because we see their pictures. Was that at the beginning of the and movie? Then Emma, uh, it's when um Mystique is looking through the files. Yeah, okay. And she, we literally see a picture of Azazel, of Angel. Huh. And then... um. I didn't see a picture of the Riptide guy. No, I didn't either. So, but he's not there, so he must have died. <laughs> Probably. Is, it's kind of unfortunate. It's like, wow, you mentioned these other Brotherhood members, but poor Riptide the <laughs> gets, gets left out. It's like, that's how much they didn't care about him, apparently. They straight up Which, did you know, not care I, about him. I didn't care about him in the last movie, but it doesn't mean you should just, in continuity, you should forget him because it's like, that's still a fact. It's like, yeah, well, they, I guess this guy's dead. They, <laughs> they did to him what they did to Nightcrawler. I know. Maybe Riptide's tornado smelled like blue cheese. <laughs> <laughs>
God, I smell like boots. God, you smell disgusting. <laughs> Riptide, your freaking tornadoes are awful. They smell so bad. <laughs> Poor Riptide. He got left behind. Oh, yeah. I know. That is something. I, I feel like it, a lot of it was actors just didn't want to come back. They didn't. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. Almost like Fox didn't sign some of those people to a contract like um James McAvoy and um and and uh, uh what's his name Michael, Michael Fassbender. Fassbender yeah yeah I feel like they didn't sign them so they were like you want to come back and make another one they probably were like we're good thank you for the offer but we're good so it's a little sucky because you know personally it would have been cool to see Banshee especially because yeah. his he had so much of a, a arc in first class. Yeah, that's and right. And it feels like, oh, he he just kind of kicked the bucket with words in this one. Like, we don't even see an actual death that's almost mentioned offhand. Almost. It's definitely mentioned. Well, see, so and you, you asked that. the question last podcast episode. Um, basically, did I think that this was supposed to just be a one-off movie or if it was supposed to set reset the franchise. And we discussed that a little bit. And really, if you think about it, if they didn't sign people on for multiple pictures, that could be an indication or more evidence for it just being a one-time movie. I don't know if that's true. I'm just saying it, it is a little bit more evidence for that. Yeah, it is kind of like, huh, did they only intend to make First Class? Was there even a Day of the Future's Past ever in development? Like, yeah. I almost feel like Day of the Future's Past came about because the success. And I feel like it got written so fast. Because, you know, movies, you know, they, they take a little bit to make. And especially these superhero films with all the CGI, especially this one, yeah. with this cast of everybody ever and it it, (laughs) so i feel like making this movie you know it was a process so maybe this was a script and that was it but it was never going to get made but then they saw the success of um first class and they did some rewrites and we got the future's past you're right yeah a little more evident now I almost wonder if Brian Singer was like kind of jealous of the success from first class and was like, not my franchise. And he came running back to do Days of Future Past. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I want to do good, too. And he did do good. I mean, yeah, he did. Made almost 800 million. Mm -hmm. Well, my next point I wrote down is brand new continuity because (laughs) this movie at the very end, after everything is said and done, establishes a brand new continuity that we never get to see, of course. <laughs> I know! <laughs> we only get to see not even five minutes of the new continuity where everyone's alive. You know, we have Jean Grey back, we have um, Psychops back, <laughs> and Hank McCoy is Kelsey Grammer again. You know, he, he, yep. he, back to Kelsey Grammer. We I know, I loved back. it too. And it's like we we never even get to see this brand new continuity, but it's there. Like yeah. you have to it they essentially 
and I, I feel like I wrote this. I almost wrote this down twice, I guess, because I wrote brand new continuity and X one through X three and X Men Wolverine Origins are now canceled out. Yeah, which it's like I say that, and it almost seems negative, but at the same time, it's just another way you could take it is now you have another timeline. That's it. That's all you have to do to just be like, oh, new time. That's the timeline. This is the timeline. But the problem with that is they never go back and build that new timeline out. We just have to assume that it went well. (laughs) It went better than the last one because Jean Grey and Cyclops are still kicking. When I think that that was kind of the point of doing this movie anyway, like I feel like mm-hmm. with them wanting to do this movie that they had basically an X four, you know, in the works for the for the long term future, because what we see at the end scene, this is the future of what's being built up in the in this, you know, in the 70s and in the 80s and 90s apocalypse and Dark Phoenix. That's those are supposed to be the same characters continuity wise. They're not at all the same. They don't act the same. They don't so look the same, I, but do you think that after Dark Phoenix we were going to get an X4? Like do you think that's a possibility that that was going to happen and because the Fox Disney buyout, I don't know if they were ever planning on trying to make the actors kind of look more like their future selves. Like, I don't know, for instance, Jean Grey. You had Sophie Turner come on as Jean Grey in Apocalypse, but then Fomke Johnson played her in the original trilogy. They don't look alike mm-hmm. by any means. But, mm-hmm. um, see, I don't know if they were trying to do like get it to where they would, because they had the scene at the end of this movie. Now that you think about it, it's kind of weird that Brian Singer went back, edited it where, you know, X1 through Origins are now pretty much a different timeline, but they didn't decide to build the new timeline, except for the younger versions of the X-Men, which never even amount to the... The older ones that we get at the end of the this film. So it's kind of fishy. Yeah. When you look at it, that why did he go and do that if they weren't even going to do anything with the older cast? Which really, if you think about it, that would be a really difficult thing to do to transition the, these characters. See, what I always thought they were going to do was that they were just going to um I number one, I didn't think they were gonna jump decades at a time. I still think that I thought that was stupid then when it happened, and I still think it's stupid now. <laughs> still think it's stupid. But that that would make it less of a continuity issue because they're not gonna look nearly the same. But then on the flip side, I thought that they were also going to basically do the movies in tandem like do the movies with the new actors continuing from days of future past and the old actors continuing also from days of future past but the other timeline but of course Mm. they never did that and like 
I'm sure that the the actors in the original trilogy were kind of sick of it, honestly. Unfortunately, especially after that last one they did. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's kind I, I of kind they, of impressive that they got them back for this movie. <laughs> I was about to say, I feel like they had to like have like a, a some steak a fishing, dinners. <laughs> a, some a, they had to have like a fishing reel. And had like um, a bunch of money on the end of it, and we're like, "Come on, come on!" Yeah, Especially to get Kelsey Grammer back for two seconds, dude. I know. <laughs> How do you get him back? <laughs> like, you know, that he, I, he I, isn't he like kind of a more prominent actor. Than uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's been in a, so, quite a bit of things. There's there's that fact, and then like the last movie. They were all in, did pretty bad. So it's, it's just really weird that they brought them back for a five minute snippet at the end of this movie. And that's it. It's almost like Brian Singer had a plan, but Fox was like, not the plan we're going for. We have these young actors. We would like to use more than the old ones. Yeah. Maybe. And it also, to be honest, at the end of this one, we have all of the X-Men. And then later in Logan, you know, all the X-Men are practically dead. I, yeah, I know. Do you think that those movies are connected? They're supposed to I be. I know we're, we're starting something, but because it's, it's, it's just fishy when you look at it. You know, they created this brand new continuity. For the older X-Men. But they never did anything with it. Except for that five minute snippet. And then the future where we have. Logan. And Professor X. So it is kind of like. Why why, why start something new. If you're not going to do anything with it. Because. I almost feel like they could have done. They could have done something. Like they didn't have Mm -hmm. to. They wouldn't have had to gone big. With an X-4. I mean, as we've seen before, bigger is almost worse for the original X-Men cast because they got big in X3 and it did bad. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, it, I mean, we're asking these questions and we kind of know the answer where it's like, it doesn't really matter now because, <laughs> you know, someone else owns these characters now. Right. So even if we're like, we come up with ideas for these characters, specifically these ones, the people who play them and that, you know, they will never be flashed, fleshed out as right. much as we would like them to be. Cause we're about to, at some point, we're going to start anew with a brand new Presser X, Magneto, Wolverine, all of them, which is going to be crazy when it happens. Yep. Like without a doubt, it's going to be crazy. Yeah, just add a couple months but, to that timeline to compensate for the yeah, coronavirus. Those are those are two points. You know, I mean, it's, I guess a singular point: the brand new continuity and the canceling, or the making the other X Men movies a different timeline. It's like they did it, and then they just said, "Okay, we're done. Don't need to do that anymore. We're just gonna roll with these new guys." Well, Which, it's not necessarily a different timeline, right? It's just different points in in the same timeline, right? 
No, I'm pretty sure it's a different timeline. No, I think it's a different timeline entirely. Wait, no, it has to be. You're talking about the future, right? The the end scene. Yeah, the future. That's a different. That's a because it's a different timeline from the original trilogy. Yes, but it's the same timeline of the first class characters. Yeah, I don't know. That's what I mean. It's going to make my brain hurt if I start thinking about this. <laughs> well, that was the whole point of the movie was that that uh, they were saving. I don't know. I, I don't know how to explain it, but suffice it to say, James McAvoy's character in this movie is the same character in the same timeline as Patrick Stewart's version of Professor Xavier in the final scene of the movie. Those are the same character in the same timeline, just years apart. Yes, yes, that, that you're right. But I'm saying that X one, X two, X three, X Men Origins are now a separate timeline of their own. Yeah, we're on the same page. Yeah, I was, okay. I was just making sure yeah. we were. Okay, yeah. So my next point, um, and one of the one of the biggest things I want to talk about, um, the scene where they are in Paris and they're about to sign the peace treaty. This is the scene where um, Michael Fassbender, where Magneto and Professor X and Logan and Beast meet up with Mystique for the first time. And it's also when Mystique is trying to kill Trask. Uh This whole scene is incredible. I love this scene so much. It's one of my favorite scenes in all of the franchise. What I love so much about it is it's so tense. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, that what's the, the suspense? That's the word I was looking for. The mm-hmm. suspense in this scene is, is so good because you've, um, like Magneto is trying to kill, they're, okay, so first of all, they're trying to stop Mystique from killing Trask, but then Magneto, without really kind of mentioning it to anyone, he's all concerned with his survival, so he's trying to kill Mystique. And um, Mystique jumps out the window, and he's curving the bullet down while Beast's tackling him. And then you get the whole part where like it shows the footage from the reporters and it's like this kind of mm-hmm. grainy TV footage. I don't know about you, yeah. but I love that. I don't know why I like it so much, but it's just it it really brings me into the scene in a way that most action scenes don't really. Like that that was just such a cool choice to me to do it that way and I love it. What do you think about yeah, this scene? To, to to use the old grainy cameras Almost like, this is a strange comparison, but almost like that, the actual footage of Bigfoot we have, where it's really grainy right, and yeah. across. It was like that, where, but instead we see a bunch of mutants fighting each other, all crazy and like, I'm pretty sure, cause that was, that was the first time that the world was introduced to seeing actual mutants. Cause you know. Yeah. Because it was class, just it was just the government. They're in introduced, but only the government knows. Right. And they keep it that way for ten years. We see. Yeah. Like they don't mention it to anybody. They keep it to themselves. But in that moment, because of that found footage type style, 
style they use, it's like, oh my goodness, people are going to share this and mutants will be introduced to the world now. It's like literally we, being broadcast at that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, cre- it creates literally two significant events. You know, we have the ending of the Vietnam War with the signing of the Paris Peace Treaty, but we also get the introduction of a new homo basically a new race is what they would describe themselves as it's crazy that they kind of how they did that it's like one event ends but they start something immediately like they started (laughs) something they introduced themselves so it is that scene that entire scene also is you know it's pretty like especially when trask pulls out the little little pear yeah that's when it starts too yeah Mm -hmm. detect it it's like uh oh here we go. He's going to find Mystique. And you already know it's going to happen. But you just don't know what's going to happen in the scene. And yeah. then as everyone is arriving, it's just, it's like the scene's getting worse and worse. And like the events that are transpiring, especially when Logan sees, um, Striker. Striker yeah. And it like, it messes him up immediately. And we get like little flashbacks of like the older striker where he doesn't age well at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. Like, wow, you, you were a handsome young man and then you turn into a fat blob. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, he was at that striker was was there while while Senator Kelly was sucking on his mama's teat. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> on your mama's titty. <laughs> oh my god definitely crazy but yeah well and and that scene is amazing real quick Mm -hmm. on the uh on the wolverine thing i was a little Mm -hmm. bit confused at first why he freaked out so much like it was obviously just a plot device because if he was if he was there he would have been able to to put a stop to magneto pretty quickly because he didn't have metal claws but mm-hmm. so it was just a they had to get him out of the scene. Um, and so it. All things considered, I think it was a pretty good way to do it, but it I, I can get a little nitpicky because I start to think like this Logan has known about his past for 20 plus years at this point, because I think the future was in twenty. 30 2023 or something like that and so i couldn't really help thinking like come on logan you would have gotten over this by now like you've already gone through all of the striker stuff and you've already learned about it all but you know as a way to get him out of the scene as just a plot device i think it's better than it could have been mm-hmm. yeah and it's, it's it's kind of funny that you just a real quick thing I mentioned, like, he didn't have metal claws. You know, Magneto actually says at one point... Yeah. It'd be funny if those were metal. And, like, it's like, oh. Oh. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Magneto already had plans for him before he even had the metal claw. <laughs> it's also like, is... Magneto, are you a, a freaking prophet? Like, how do you know that? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how that... <laughs> that, yeah. that comes up okay so do you want me to do another point or do you want to go next yeah you go ahead and do another point 
Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about Trask and his motivation. There's a quick okay. scene where he kind of talks a little bit about it. It's when um, he's with Stryker, and Stryker's like, oh, you must really hate mutants. And he's like, on the contrary, I rather admire them. And he kind of gives a little speech. I don't completely understand what his what his overall motivation is because he knows that like these sentinels are built to kill the mutants so i don't know because from his speech it made it sound like he didn't really want to kill them but the sentinels are built to kill them Mm -hmm. do you have any insight on that like did i miss something no you're right he doesn't really his motivation's kind of blank as far as we know yeah. Because the Sentinels are ultimately get made because he gets killed is what we are well, explained to. The future Sentinels. He did create the ones that were there at the end. I mean at the you well, know yeah, in the seventies. Uh, after that the Sentinels were created or at least started to look at more get looked at more to kill and round up all the mutants. Which does beg the question, what was his original intent? Was he just trying to find all the mutants in the first place and just make sure people knew that they were there or something? Well, he definitely wanted to test Mystique. Like, he wanted, he really Mm -hmm. wanted to test, um, to perform experiments on Mystique. And it made it seem like the reason he wanted to do that was to improve the Sentinels. So was his goal just to build, like, these really cool robots that could do a lot? Or to go against, uh, basically go against the mutants. I just found a plot hole, Connor. <laughs> and it's, it's not, it's not really touched on that much. No, it's not. Like uh, that, all you get is that little, um, his little speech, but that's about it. That is kind of interesting that, you know, he doesn't, yeah, it's never really explained why he wants to create the Sentinel in the first place. Like essentially just to find the mutants. So the government knows, I guess, which is weird because he hasn't never had any personal experience with them. Yeah. And in the, another, I, a quick thing I want to mention in that scene, um, Stryker mentions his son, Jason. Oh yeah, you're right. I caught that. Which is a kind of, it's kind of like a, ooh, there's that little nugget right there. Uh huh. I actually kind of liked that they threw that in there. And it's, it, uh, clearly it's, before we find out Jason, he finds out Jason is a mutant. Yeah. Because for some reason, Stryker doesn't like mutants at some point. We don't really figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, I don't know. That's weird. I it, actually, it, I actually really appreciated conundrum. that though. Yeah, it but, was good that they mentioned it. But, um, I, while we're talking about Peter Dinklage, um, there was a, a little trivia on trivia time because i always have a little piece of trivia on every movie (laughs) but there's a little piece of trivia that i read so apparently peter dinklage said that um the reason brian singer wanted him to play trask was because of his height And, and he said that with with my dwarfism i'm a bit of a mutant I can't move metal or anything, but I thought of it as more of a self-loathing. Loathing deep down, Trask is quite sensitive about that aspect of himself. So, if you do kind of want to project that onto the character in the movie, Trask kind of admires mutants because, in a way, he is one himself. Like he's got his own mutation. 
So that is kind of an interesting way to look at it. It doesn't really explain the issue, but um, it is kind of interesting to think about. It doesn't explain the issue, but it almost kind of seems like um, maybe Trask has a slight jealousy because his mutation has made him more limited. Yeah, yeah. And But he sees that there are mutants that have a mutation that's enhance them yeah more than yeah exactly yeah anything so yeah i feel like that's what that is that maybe you know maybe we kind of uncovered a small nugget maybe that's what we're supposed to think because if peter dinklage brought that to the character that's how we should view the character you know because that's how he played him and i know we didn't really talk a whole lot about um him and like we didn't we didn't mention him in the new casting choices but I thought he did great in this movie. I thought he sold it as this kind of like um, contracting guy who was just trying to get ahead in the way that he was doing it. I thought he was a really, I thought he acted really well in this movie. Even though, as you pointed out in um, X2. X3. Yeah, X from Last Stand. X3, back to the black man. <laughs> oh Apparently, my gosh! They were just like, eh. <laughs> eh, whatever. <laughs> we need someone of note with more clout. <laughs> I know, and that's before the time change too. So that was technically supposed so to be the really same character. <laughs> what if that was like his adopted father, and then the <laughs> the Trask you see. <laughs> The Trask you see in X-Men The Last Stand is like an orphan adopted son. Oh, man. I, <laughs> of Peter Dinklage. <laughs> Peter, Peter Dinky's adopted son. <laughs> oh, my God. That is so funny. Okay. So go ahead and give your your point. My My final point. I have maybe you can call this a nitpick, but I I don't see it as a nitpick. I see it as kind of a bigger thing with this film. I don't know about you, Connor, but this movie feels long. Yes. How, you you felt okay. it too? And I, I wasn't sure if it was because of the road cut or not. I don't know. I just... Because I, I watched the road cut too, obviously, and it just... I I even wrote down, you know, film feels a little long-winded, and that was... That was, I think I was barely halfway through the movie. But, you know, it's a great movie. Let's not take away from that. Yeah. But it definitely feels like two hours and 31 minutes. See, and I, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Because it, if you start feeling how long a film is, it can be problematic. Because then you start checking your checking the time, wondering when this is going to be over, and that's not always a good thing for a movie. Yeah. Now, I think it's because this movie kind of... There's a point in this movie where it feels like it's kind of standing still. I think as soon as you start feeling that, it does start to pick up Yeah, right at that point, too. So it's not like they let it sit. I know like that um, screenwriters... Like, one of the hardest things in screenwriting is kind of that middle act because you've got to get 
from the first act to the third act. And the third act is where your climax is. So that's like the arguably the most important part of the movie. It felt like the second half of the middle act of this movie dragged a lot because it was yeah. just a it was like a lot of um not high action scenes in a row. So really like from the time that um the scene that we just talked about at the peace treaty from that scene to the scene where they have the um introduction of the sentinels at the end all of the stuff in the middle of that was very slow and then mm-hmm. of course you've got in the rogue cut they added in all the scenes with rogue so it, it gives you a little bit of a break from that but still i was kind of feeling yeah. like yeah this is kind of like I don't know why it, it's making me feel like this is really long-winded, but I agree with you. Mm-hmm. It, it was, it, and I felt bad feeling it because it is a good movie, but it's like, yeah, I did too. Ah, it does, it does feel two hours and thirty-one minutes long. <laughs> was that the runtime of the road cut or the real movie? Uh, I mean, if it's on IMDb, it's probably it, the theatrical release. Two hours and twelve minutes was uh was what it's on IMDb. So I think that you're that the So the road cut is two hours and thirty one minutes. Yeah, I think so. Which yeah, it felt it so that for means, sure. That means if you saw it in the theater, you you felt it probably felt shorter. So I'm yeah, guessing yeah. adding that I, I feel like if we went back and watched just Days of Futures Past non real cut it would probably feel a little faster but what's weird but, to me about that is the rogue scenes aren't what made it feel slow to me it was the yeah. scenes in the movie and i was that's what i that's what confused me because i was like i don't remember it feeling like this um you know the first time i saw it but i, I wasn't feeling like that during the new scenes mm-hmm. so i was i was kind of confused by that too yeah, I don't know, man. That's it. Maybe it's just an unfortunate thing that it kind of happened that way. Maybe they just the writers were like, "Gotta get through this," and they just couldn't find a way to make it feel a little faster. But you know, it doesn't take away from the movie as a whole. It's just it does. Like if you're if you just wanted to like sit down and watch a movie, mm-hmm. I almost feel like this movie this movie wouldn't be a casual viewing. Like, yeah, because you would feel. You would feel this movie. Like, I, trust me, after watching it, I felt like, oh my goodness, that was two hours and 31 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I know. I agree. That, that was, that was my final point, you know. Mm hmm. Just felt like a long movie. Other than that, Connor, you have two more points. Yep. Let us hear those two more points. So while we're talking about the rogue stuff, I did want to devote, since we did do the rogue cut, I wanted to devote a little bit of time talking about that and like what was added and everything. Um, I liked it. I liked what was added. Like I said earlier, um, I really had a lot of fun seeing new footage. I mean, it's really not a whole lot. You get to see Bobby die again, I guess. (laughs) So that's something. But I thought it was, you know, kind of cool that they were having to infiltrate the old like the mansion that you've seen tons of movies already with Mm -hmm. and 
I, you know, it wasn't really well fleshed out, but, um, I thought it was, was pretty good. You know, I like, I like the guy who plays Bobby and I always like Magneto. I thought it was funny when he was like, uh, when Professor X was like, it's reinforced steel down there. And, uh, Magneto was like, so a door. (laughs) 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 So a door. (laughs) The delivery of that line is perfect. I know. I really liked that. (laughs) Just like, oh, okay. Uh, Perfect. Perfect for me. Man. And Anna Paquin is is a lot older in this movie, which 2006 to 2014, that's a pretty big gap, so... You're gonna pack on some years there, unfortunately. But yeah, she's definitely older. But it, but it kind of makes sense because it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's definitely a significant amount into the future. So right. That's, yeah. It's kind of a good thing that she was old. But it, it does kind of whenever it jumps back to the present time and they're still the high school students. <laughs> it's <just a> little <laughs> awkward. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's funny that when they go back to the that point she's back with Iceman and Kitty Pryde is back being alone again. Oh yeah. No, <laughs> like, she was, oh, okay. I think she was with a uh, Colossus cause she was in the same room teaching with him. She, she was with someone. That's, <laughs> I honestly, cause she's I was like, Oh, okay. That's how it is in the comics is Colossus and Kitty Pryde are, are a, are a couple. And mm-hmm. so I was wondering if they were doing that just kind of putting them in the same room together. I don't know. I mean, it was just a tiny little thing, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought that the rogue stuff was, was pretty cool. Um, I don't know why they didn't include that specifically in the final cut, because other than that, the only scene you get with Anna Paquin is the final scene, uh, with Mm -hmm. her, with Iceman. So I feel if I was her, I would have felt like pretty shafted, when they released the movie and it was just, you know, all her scenes basically got cut. Yeah. <laughs> I do like the scenes, especially that, that they added. It does kind of, and it, because it perfectly parallels with the, where Magneto is walking in to the government building. Yeah. And he takes the really crappy helmet back, <laughs> which I don't know why that aged terribly within 10 years. And then I know it, it looks way better. <laughs> I didn't get that at all. <laughs> like it, why, why did it? It looked like an old football helmet. <laughs> and like, in, I don't know if you've ever. In the end of first class, it was like this bright crimson red. And then in this movie, mm-hmm. it was like a, a musty old brown. Doo-doo helmet <laughs> that looked like it was made of leather. It looked like it was like burnt or something for some reason. It's like. I, that's not how that works. <laughs> I, they had some, something had to heat that helmet up pretty significantly for it to get like that. <laughs> yeah. That was I don't weird. know. I don't know why it became a football helmet, but yeah, there was that. <laughs> but yeah, and my last point, it's, it's kind of two points, but I'm calling it one point because it's kind of the same thing. Um, it's really like the theme of this movie is kind of this is what I kind of came up with after I watched the movie and I'm just going to read what I wrote. So I said I really appreciated the scene with old and young Charles Xavier and we we already mentioned that a little bit. And then I went on to say 
it seems like the theme of this movie is basically your path in life and how your choices affect the trajectory of that path. Both Charles and Raven have their paths changed for the better in this movie. Eric chooses to stay on his path to destructive ends. However, Logan is already on the good path at the beginning of this movie and at the end of this movie as a result of how Charles affected him in his past. Um, so I think that that's kind of the theme that they were going for in this movie. And, and it's really one of the reasons that I love this movie as much as I do. Um, and one of the reasons I'm probably going to rank it as high as I do when we get to that. But I um, kind of fall, falling back off of that, that, that reason made me understand the direction they took Mystique in the later films. The first time I saw Apocalypse, I didn't really understand that they basically changed Mystique's trajectory in life. Like they they kind of made her into a good person because of it. When I watched Apocalypse for the first time, I forgot about that. And I was like, why is Mystique an X-Man? I don't, I don't understand this. But this kind of informed that and made me understand that better. And, mm-hmm. um, and then the Charles scene, I love that scene when he's talking with, um, him, his future self and just the way they do it too. Cause Logan's like, you know, I, I don't know the words to say to get you to the point where you need to be to start making the choices you need to make. But I know that I know a guy who can, and it's you. So look into my head. Charles. Charles. So this is what becomes of us. Eric was right. Humanity does this to us. Not if we show them a better path. You still believe? Just because someone stumbles, loses their way, it doesn't mean they're lost forever. Sometimes we all need a little help. Oh, I'm not the man I was. I open my mind, and it almost overwhelms me. You're afraid. And Cerebro knows it. All those voices. So much pain. It's not that pain you're afraid of. It's yours, Charles. And as frightening as it may be, that pain will make you stronger. If you allow yourself to feel it, embrace it. It will make you more powerful than you ever imagined. It's the greatest gift we have to bear their pain without breaking. And it's born from the most human power. Hope. Please, Charles, we need you to hope again. And then that whole scene kind of in a way validated the last stand because it showed the flashbacks of basically Wolverine's entire life that you've seen in the films, including where he Mm -hmm. kills Jean Grey. And I don't know about you, but I actually kind of felt for him um, in that moment 
just the, I don't know if it was the way they did the montage or what, but then after it, Professor X is like, yo, you poor, poor man. And I just really kind of felt for Wolverine in that moment. And it made me like, kind of retroactively like The Last Stand a little bit more than I did when we reviewed it a couple weeks ago. But do you agree with my assessment of kind of what I what I said the theme might have been in this movie? Yes, absolutely. Especially since I I definitely wasn't. <laughs> I'll say this: I think I was so distracted by the visual of the visuals, I almost forgot. You know, there is definitely an overarching theme in this film, and I think you're right on the money. And I feel like if you were to go to the director and you wrote that down and showed it to him. He could probably show you the notes and they would probably say the exact same mm. thing, which is pretty cool, I must say. So, yeah, I, I am in total agreement with you there, my friend. Cool. I, I don't think I can add anything more because I feel like you just explained that so perfectly. Yeah, I mean, I usually don't, like, pay that much attention to a movie's message, but I don't know. Mm. I just, like, after watching this movie... I just, I guess, I don't know, I had a couple minutes to think about it as I was kind of finishing writing my notes out, and that just kind of came to my head, and I started thinking about it, and I was like, huh, that's really cool. Like, I usually don't pick that kind of thing up in movies, but I did in this one, and that makes me like it even more. And that's all my points. All I have left is nitpicks. I don't know if you wrote any nitpicks down. Uh, you know, I don't think I had any real nitpicks with this movie besides that it felt you know longer and then I also (laughs) I guess I do have a nitpick I just found one (laughs) okay okay so uh the portal chick her name is blink I think yeah yeah blink okay so she uses her powers and we obviously see that she can use them to create a portal and cut something off of a sentinel. Yeah, she cuts the right? arm off, right? Okay, why not just cut all their heads off? <laughs> like, uh, That's a good okay, point. Maybe she, and then, I, I was just about to say, maybe she can't make multiple. She ultimately proves she can make ten at one time. <laughs> so, say there's twenty sentinels, she just makes... Ten portals cuts all their heads off. You only have ten more to deal with. Like, right. I don't know. I maybe maybe if you cut their head off, they can still operate. I don't know because we never. I guess we never see him killed in that sort of way. But I feel like Bishop or Iceman or Colossus would have looked at her and be like, you know, if you made a portal around their head. <laughs> and just kind of, you know, snipped it off. You could make this problem go away a lot easier. What's annoying is that she never learned from the previous who knows how many times they died because they get like a million chances to do it. <laughs> they, they they die a lot. <laughs> yeah. Which is, which is uh, crazy. Yeah. Okay. The first one that just hit me real hard was when um Patrick Stewart as Professor X was talking about Mystique and how like the timeline went bad and how like basically she was the reason they needed to go back and fix it. And he's like, 
Ah, yes, Raven was my old friend. We, She was like a sister to me. And I was like, you treated her like dirt in the first three movies. Like, she didn't exist. <laughs> what the heck happened, man? <laughs> a liar. <laughs> so that just stood out really starkly to me. I was like, ah, nope, not not buying it, fam. That's not not right. Um, but we we already discussed that in the last movie. Mm-hmm. And another one is why did they even put Toad in this movie? <laughs> and why does he look so <laughs> gross? He looks nasty. <laughs> why did they, he's got like his face is just like ridges of pimples. Like what? <laughs> yes. Like, like he peed on his own face or something. <laughs> he looks nothing like Ray Park at all. Nope. Looks nothing like Darth Maul, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> looks like a poo. I just don't know why they're so obsessed with putting random mutants in here. Because, like, they even put the dude who, like, had, like... That was a cool power. Like, he made the people throw up by, like, moving his tattoo. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty cool. We never see him again, though. All right, this is a big nitpick. How the crap does Wolverine know Quicksilver? I don't know. That's never explained. Never. It because, is never explained. Uh, it had to have happened in a point in time when we didn't see. Yeah. Like, Off it screen. had to. Like, it had to be like, because he says, I knew this mutant when he was older. So, obviously, it's a more current thing. And, I mean, he doesn't make it, obviously. There's no way, because you don't see him helping the mutants in the future. Yeah. So, I guess... Maybe he met Quicksilver before the Sentinels started coming out. I don't know. I don't know. That's and another thing. he knew thing. exactly where he lived, too. Yeah, that's... It's it's so weird. Because that was in the it's 70s. In the 70s. <laughs> that's another yeah, he thing. He knew a lot about him. You mentioned the Sentinels. That's another, like, just overall nitpick that I have about this movie in general, is that the Sentinels are never in the um the original franchise, the original trilogy. Like except for that except scene for in the danger room. Yeah, exactly. Except for the head. And so they established with that scene that they exist, but they were never they never posed a problem to our main cast, at least on screen. And the other thing that really sucks about that is the only fights that you get to see with Sentinels at all in the entire franchise as a whole is with the futuristic Sentinels that are overpowered and kill them. So you don't Mm. get any like well-balanced Sentinel fights, which is really annoying because the Sentinels play a really big role in X-Men lore. And like, I, I know I mentioned this before, but the, the game, the X-Men Legends game that I love, you fight Sentinels a lot in that game, and it's so much fun. So I wish you would have gotten a little bit more of that, at least at some point in the franchise. But uh, I can probably tell you why they didn't do that. It's hard because to Because they it's, didn't... They, yeah. Well, not that. It's That's probably a problem, but it's probably because they wanted more to do with mutant and humans' interactions than 
a bunch of robots because, you know, robots versus people has happened so many times and they just didn't, they, they were probably very like cautious of going towards that. And it seems like it was their last resort because we didn't get it till 2014 and X-Men the Future's Past. We only got a very quick scene where we see ahead of a Sentinel. So sure. it, I guess it, it's one of those things where they're like, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. <laughs> and then finally they were like, okay, never. It, it's the part of the story. The good thing about that, though, is that it gives the um, uh, the MCU a lot more opportunity to use Sentinels because it's a little bit more fresh. Yeah, and well, I, I, I do have... I'd be happy about that. I'll say another thing about the Sentinels while we're on them. The absolute worst scene in this film that used CGI was the scene on the train oh where my it gosh. laces the Sentinels yep. with metal. It, I wrote Why that down. Why does that look so bad? Dude, it looks like, like a PS3 cutscene. It looks terrible. And it's like... It's Wait a minute! So you have bad. all this amazing—you have all this amazing filmmaking, and then you have that scene, and it literally takes you out of the movie because of how badly it, they yeah. animated. And it's during the slow part of the movie too, when you're already thinking like, "Oh, has <laughs> taken so long." It's just, ugh! It's like it, it is one why? of the most awful-looking scenes in the whole franchise. Like, I'll be honest, like it was completely 100% animated. It had to have been, and it just looks oh, so bad. It was putrid. Putrid <laughs> filmmaking. Yeah. Like I don't know how I, I, I mean, there's a chance that might have been a scene that they kept putting off, putting off, putting off. And it started getting closer to release, and they're like, make it, make it! And that's what we got, and they just never fixed it for some reason. I just wish they would have, they could have easily just made the Sentinels metal, and not have yeah. Peter Dinklage say, oh, po- you know, Space Age Polymer, or whatever. Like, you don't need that line. Just make him metal. He doesn't have to know that Magneto can move metal. He didn't ha- need to know that there's a mut- What if there's a mutant out there that can move Space Age Polymer? It's going to be an issue either way. I mean, you don't know. True. So. True. Yeah. And also, I, um, I have a question because this came up while me and Jasmine were watching. Are the, are the Sentinels, it, the future Sentinels made of metal or something else? They're, they adapt, so it's not really specified. I would imagine their base is, is like a, some sort of plastic polymer. But with with Mystique's DNA, they can probably change into anything they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Jasmine was getting mad that Magneto couldn't move the Sentinels, and I kept telling her, "No, they're not entire. They're not metal exactly." Yeah, and that even proven whenever Magneto moves all the metal in front of him to protect himself, and he still ends up with a piece of Sentinel in his belly. Oh, yeah. The shrapnel, yeah. Further proving that the Sentinels were not metal fully. I think they can turn into metal, though, because when one of them was fighting with Colossus. Colossus, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Poor Colossus. (laughs) Dude, he gets freaking ripped in half. And then Iceman Uh, gets his head broken off. Well, at first, 
the first time we see a Colossus die, he gets his head beat in. Oh yeah, like, and it's, like, you just hear like, like a he was rubber. Pink, <laughs> and then he gets ripped in half the second time he dies. They had some it's brutal like, deaths in this one, man. Those were the two deaths we saw of Colossus. What other ways did they kill that poor man? Like, <laughs> I feel so bad for him. I definitely feel like poor Colossus got it somewhat the worst because they probably could only kill him in certain ways. And <laughs> different <laughs> ways were pretty brutal. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, oh, well, yeah. Also, while we're talking about Sentinels, um, in the scene with Rogue, when they when they rescue her from the X-Mansion, <laughs> they're flying away. It's literally Rogue, who has been experimented on for who knows how long. And then Professor X, who's confined to a wheelchair, and Magneto, who's old as dirt. All That's the only three mutants in there, because Iceman just died. And a sentinel comes, or two sentinels, or was it just one? I don't know, but a sentinel nonetheless. And it's a future sentinel comes and is, like, trying to get them. How? They somehow lose this sentinel by Professor X pushing on full throttle and them going supersonic. Mm. The Sentinels can fly! <laughs> the Sentinel would have destroyed them as weak as they were and in, the, in like the position they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on top of that, in that same scene, conveniently, there's a tracker in the Sentinel's arm in that specific <laughs> arm. How did the Sentinel know it was going to lose that arm to move its tracker right there? That's I call complete plot pushing right there. <laughs> yeah you're it's right bull crap it's like no 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 no, no. like that's so convenient <laughs> that the tracker just so happened to be in the arm that gets cut off yeah because like, i yeah. i just because uh-uh. the in the past the the trackers it shows it it was like it where their heart would be so they yep. changed it i guess in the future yeah they moved it to their arm some good adapting there sentinels <laughs> but like what if it what if its leg got caught in something like, like there's no tracker there so it's like there are all these like things that could happen if the sentinel had a tracker in anywhere in just that one spot it's like oh great so we have to hope that a arm gets stuck on something up there yep for real Let's hope and pray that that happens oh yeah <laughs> oh my goodness okay Another retcon. <laughs> so, um, you know how Trask is at the Paris Treaty? He's in Paris when they're doing, like, the the treaty and they ha- they catch uh, mutants on TV for the first time? Yes. The very, and I mean the very next scene, is um, the White House. And it's, it's like uh, Richard Nixon is like, all right, what have we got here? And they're like talking about the footage and everything. Freaking pans over and Peter Dinklage is there. How the heck did he get from <laughs> Paris all the way to the White House that quick, man? <laughs> oh, God. 
Does he have like a freaking? Does he ride on the back of a sentinel to get there super quickly or something? <laughs> he must have like a super fast private jet or something. That makes no that, sense because they're literally watching the footage that was just broadcast. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep, just broadcast. Like not even an hours later, <laughs> he's there. Oh man. Like, how'd you get there, Peter Dinklage? I'm Peter Dinklage. I do what I want. Oh, okay. <laughs> my my, so. my mutation actually allows me to be supersonic speed. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a little midget leg. <laughs> I'm here. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. Where'd you come from? <laughs> you could scare so many people because he's short and fast. Oh, God. <laughs> Recipe for disaster. What if he appears and someone whacks the crap out of him? That poor man. <laughs> Could you imagine Peter Dinklage instead of uh, Evan Peters doing the... <laughs> In a bottle. <laughs> he would have to jump to move the bullets, Connor. <laughs> He's got all the time in the world. It doesn't matter. I mean, he has enough time. He can do it. But still, they imagine if they did that and played it in like regular motion. Just, <laughs> <laughs> and if there's one that's just high enough, he has to go find a little stool or something just to move. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, Connor, it would be a catastrophe. Or he would just climb up on their backs to move the <laughs> the bullets out of the way he would have to do something <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> okay um, Peter Tinkley. another nitpick i still think beast looks like crap in this movie and i think i found out why i think the reason i like the way kelsey Grammer looks better is because he's got his hair slicked back and he's got the mutton chops but Nicholas Holt doesn't have either of those things. He's just kind of got like a, a freaking perm, basically. <laughs> like he, well, he has a Jufro. At least in this one, they make it more Nicholas Holt's face than the last one. Yeah, and he doesn't have Kelsey Grammer voice anymore. Yeah, it like it's like they totally were like, that didn't work, so we're not going to do that again. But even so, he well, still kind of looks like a teen wolf to me. Yeah, you're right. It, it, But at least it looks more like Nicholas Holt now instead of trying to, like, exactly copy Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. And, like, I guess I understand why they they didn't give him... I mean, he's younger, so he can't really grow mutton chops, I guess. Uh, I guess you could make that case. And then he does... I don't know. I just feel like his hair, it was in the seventies too. People slicked back their hairs all the time. So, and regular beast has his hair slicked back. I don't know. I just, I feel like it would have looked better. While we're on beast, I, at one point in the movie, we look at Beast's feet and they're regular feet. Wait, really? Yes. It's very quick. Oh, is it when he jumps on the chandelier? Yeah. When he jumps down, he has regular feet. They forgot to animate Bruh. his feet. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Can't do that. Yeah, you for can't real. Show us his feet in the last movie. Make it a point of interest in that movie, and then in the next movie, forget that that's a thing. 
Yeah, for real. Because that was like how his mutation started. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, at one point Nicholas Holt has regular feet. Again, (laughs) I I don't know. That's a little odd. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, um, this is my last nitpick. Biggest one of the entire movie. It is literally like the last scene of the movie. And they're pulling Wolverine out of the water and it's Stryker. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. Stryker got Wolverine. Well, he looks at the camera and flashes his eyes yellow. (laughs) (laughs) Why? That had to have been added after or that had to have been like a mistake. I I I truly I truly do not understand why that made it into the movie. <laughs> that that almost makes it like Mystique is the reason Wolverine gets metal claws. And that's that's literally what I thought the first time I watched it, and that's one of the reasons I thought that Mystique was still bad going into X Men Apocalypse. And mm-hmm. she wasn't. Yeah, so fit her. I was so confused, and I still am. There is literally, I almost feel like they weren't planning on making Mystique a good, an X-Men, basically, when they first did this movie, or at least when they first did that scene, and they filmed that scene, and it somehow still made it in to to the, well, then again, they still had to edit the eyes yellow in post, Mm -hmm. so they could have at least changed that. I mean, I don't get it. I don't understand, like, were they... Were they trying to make it to where Mystique saved Wolverine? And did she, though? No, that's the point. In Apocalypse, he's still with Stryker. And, like, the thing is, it's like, so, that means Stryker just immediately adapts and is like, oh, I feel the same way as Mystique. I, I want him to be metal. Yeah. Because you don't, you don't really get that from the striker we see it's not like because he's he's just working he's working for trask at that point uh-huh. he's just trying to like collect the g the all the stuff for striker that's not his own value yeah he's just working he's just a soldier doing a soldier's duty but then next movie oh no he firmly believes in mutant being taken down and that's why he took wolverine <laughs> But technically, you don't get it from, you know, Striker Mystique either. You know, uh, I don't know, dude. <laughs> That's, a, again, another plot hole. It is the biggest nitpick that I have with this movie. <laughs> I I just, I really, I don't understand it at all. I can theorize about it all day, and it it will never make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's never going to make sense. Yep, unfortunately. It's one of those things, dude. I hate, I hate that that's, and I, (laughs) what's really bad about it is like, that's like the last thing in the movie that you get to see. Yep, (laughs) the last thing you see. It's literally the last scene, excluding post-credit scenes. I, you may not have, have hated that as much as I did, but it, 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 it's so bad. I've never hated it, I just thought it was dumb. Like, it's like, eh, that never pans out anyways. (laughs) That's what irritates me about it. It's like, why the heck is Mystique pretending to be Stryker? It's, it's literally they just they were like, oh, we didn't flash Mystique's eyes again, and we did it in all the other movies, so we got to do it here. 
No, Brian Singer, we don't have to do that. Come on. <laughs> Quit while you're on top. <laughs> all right. That's all I've got on this movie. So yeah. now we get to talk about real quickly since we've been going for so long. Um, where do you rank this in your other? Actually, first, before you rank it, um, what score out of 10 do you give it? All right, Connor, you ready for this? I'm ready. I'm going to give this. A nine out of ten on my personal list. Nice, nice. That's how much I watched it and enjoyed it. And even though we've had our discussion now and we've obviously found some plot holes and problems, I still put it at nine point five because when I sat down and watched this movie, I don't know, I just didn't. It felt like a nine, nine for me, you know. Yeah, that's. Uh, I almost had it at nine. I knocked it down half a point just after thinking a little bit more about it and getting caught up in some of the <laughs> yeah <laughs> the last scene in the movie. It was a nine before I watched the eyes turn yellow. <laughs> but um, I have it at an eight point five. I, I this is a fantastic movie. So that means that our combined score is an eight point seven five. Pretty good. Pretty good for this movie, my friend. Yeah, man. Um. <clears throat> as far as where I rank this in all the other movies we've seen so far. So currently we've got first class, then X2 underneath that under that is um, X-Men one and then X three or the last stand. Mm-hmm. So I, I personally and putting this at the top. Connor, I'm right there with you. Really? Okay. I'm right there with you. <laughs> we've done it again, people. We've our list is still the same. I'm kind of surprised. Class number one. I I, I really I, thought you would have had first class higher as much as you loved it well, when we were I, talking about it. I I do love first class, but I also love this one. That I I'm seeing a trend here. I do too. Yeah. yeah. I I. That's so funny that we've agreed for every single movie so far. I know, so far. We'll have to see next week. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) God, I haven't watched Apocalypse since I bought it for five bucks whenever Black Friday came out that year that it came out. (laughs) Freddy, I haven't watched Apocalypse since we reviewed it on YouTube. (laughs) Oh, God. It's going to be interesting, man. <laughs> but I think uh, our our top three is probably not going to change for a oh. while, at least. <laughs> I, I I think we're good there. Because since, since we're doing all the X-Men movies now, because we do not know when uh, New Mutants is coming out, I'm sure it's going to be a little bit before we change. Yeah. Uh, depending on what order we decide. Mm-hmm. But that is TBD currently. There you have it, guys. In, there you in, have it. Days of Future's Past, on top. It's it on top. Like, seems like first class, you know, on top. And then this week, we put the next one on top. And that's just just how it works out. And I'm pretty sure we have a lot of people who are in agreement with us. And if you aren't in agreement with us, please tell us on our Instagram page, which we do have. Shameless plug. Connor, could you tell yep. them the name of that? Yeah, so uh, follow us on Instagram at, at Cinema Seekers Pod. 
Um, we're starting to get a little bit of a following. I don't know how engaged that following is, but um, just comment on our stuff, you know, talk to us. We want to talk to you about movies, what you want us to see, what you think about the movies we're reviewing. And um, I think even on our podcast homepage on Anchor, I think you can even leave us like little voice messages too, if you want to. And who knows? I mean, if you start doing that, we might feature them on the show um, just to kind of have, have some stuff to talk about. So yeah, get involved in some way. I mean, you ain't got nothing to do right now sitting at home on quarantine. So yeah. And also if you, you know, we, I mentioned it in passing, but if you have a certain order after we watch Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix, if you have an order of what we should watch next, please give it to us because then we will follow that Mm. as closely as we can so we can make sure we're giving you what you want first and what you don't want later. Yeah. I almost have an inkling that people may want the worst one (laughs) first (laughs) before we do the good one. So, like, again, guys, comment on our post on Instagram, and then Connor just told you another way to communicate with us through the Anchor podcast thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was our little review on X-Men Days, A Future Past. Yep. Next week, we will be doing X-Men Apocalypse. Oh, yes. So go watch it, guys. And, um... Watch it. Prepare. You have nothing else to do right now. Watch yeah, it. I know. I'm glad you, uh, we're glad you listened. But uh, until next week, we are the Cinema Seekers. I am Connor. I am Freddy. And we hope to seek some cinema with you soon. Bye, guys. Bye. Ah!